Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. You're locked in. Look at what we have here, folks. To the only show that matters. The cream of the crop. Duke loves wrestling. And there is no one that does it better than your host... I have come here to chew bubblegum and kick ass. The Duke. And I'm all out of bubblegum. Hi, this is Earl Oliver from Sully Finish Wrestling. This is Raj Geary with WrestlingInc.com. This is Sean Reed, boxing writer and undercover low-key wrestling fan. And you're listening to Duke Love Wrestling. Woo! Hi, this is Ed Cannell. And this is Matt Anton. And we are Suspicious Behavior Productions, creators of Invasion from Planet WrestleTopia. Yes, you are. And let me tell you something, <laughs> folks. Brother. I am not a, a comic book guy. Okay. I, let, me, let me just admit that up front. Okay. I was a TV kid. I was, I was sitting there making sure I got all my chores done and my homework done so I could watch wrestling. I was a big wrestling guy. I loved cartoons. When it came to comic books, I, it just, you know, the bug didn't bite me as hard as it did most of my peers. But I got to tell you something. Invasion from Planet WrestleTopia by far is my favorite comic that I've ever read. And yes, I've read some of those rare X-Men and, and Superman and all these other things here. Invasion from, from Planet WrestleTopia Everybody listening, I need you at the end of this interview, okay, check out the comments that I, I put in there in the description. You definitely want to get your hands or get your eyes, I should say, on Invasion from Planet Recitopia, legitimately the best wrestling comic you will ever enjoy reading. The artwork is spectacular. And I'm just really excited to have uh, Ed and Matt here this week just to share some information about the, the comic. So first and foremost, uh, and we'll start with you, Ed. Ed, are, are you a wrestling fan? Because this, is, this comic <clears throat> is very wrestling specific. So you got to tell me here, what, what are your credentials yeah. in terms of pro wrestling? So I'm a little bit older than uh, Matt here, my co-writer and co-creator. I'm 47, and I grew up as a kid in the seventies and eighties uh, obsessed with wrestling. And that was the time of, uh, you know, we, ha I, we happened, I, I grew up in Portland, Oregon. I was born and raised here. And then at an early age discovered, uh, you know, we had this NWA territory, Pacific Northwest wrestling. Uh, and so even before cable, I was able to tune in Saturday nights and watch, you know, the likes of the, uh, Jesse Ventura and Roddy Piper and Playboy Buddy Rose on my local, you know, Channel 12. Um, and I grew from there. And that was, and then, you know, uh, stayed kind of obsessed with wrestling through, you know, uh, uh, Ric Flair and, you know, Hulkamania and all that stuff. And I, and, and, and I did, you know, sort of fall out of it at one point because I was of the, I guess, I don't know, generation of fans where, when kayfabe kind of went away it was a little bit like finding out that santa claus you know was, wasn't real <laughs> and only worse and then you know it was hard after that um 
to sort of keep going, right? Because you started off as a little kid thinking it's real and then, then it's not. So it, it was hard for me, and though I, I, though I still love it, and I have, a, I, I mean, I still love it. Mm. I have a ton of uh, warm feelings towards it. Uh, these days, I don't watch res- watch wrestling regu- regularly. I keep up with it uh, and kind of keep up with, with what's going on. But my my obsession with it was primarily through the seventies and eighties. What about yourself? What about yourself there, Matt? I mean, again, what are your credentials with pro wrestling? Because this comic is so specific to the wrestling experience. Were you a wrestler or you have some kind of connection with wrestling that that allowed you to create something so specific? Well, if you saw my physique, you would see I'm definitely not cut out to be a wrestler. Manager. But, <laughs> but um, no, I, you know, I've been a fan ever since I was about maybe five years old. I was the perfect age to sort of, you know, catch the, the cresting wave of Hulkamania slash the sort of like the rock and wrestling era. Uh, we didn't have cable when I was a kid, so I got whatever I, whatever I could, which usually meant, you know, Saturday mornings, Hulk Hogan's Rock and Wrestling, and then Saturday night's main event on, I believe it was NBC at the time. And then our local uh, affiliate would have Glow on Saturdays as well. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, of course, in high school, we got cable, and the attitude era was just sort of dawning. So, you know, I remained like a pretty consistent viewer up through maybe sort of the early 2000s. And then my, my sort of viewing habits fell off. But, you know, my, my sort of like warm, fuzzy feelings for wrestling have sort of never gone away. Um, you know, like Ed, I still... I still keep on top of what's happening in the industry um, in my news feed. And, you know, I'm just like a sucker for any wrestling content. So of course I've just been devouring dark side of the ring and any of like the WWE network uh, documentaries that they've been putting out, you know, like, uh, you know, whatever content they're going to put out there, you know, about wrestling, particularly from the time I was viewing it, which would be sort of mid eighties to the early two thousands. I, you know, I'm all about it. That's great stuff there. That's great stuff. And it's, it's funny that you, you both mentioned things that stuck out to me that I believe definitely influenced your comic here. Ed, you mentioned Hot Rod Roddy Piper, the Hall of Famer. And, you know, when you talk about the Pacific Territory, I mean, he spent so much time in Oregon. and, And I believe at one point he was the head booker up there, what have you. He's definitely the main attraction. I actually had his daughter... Teal Piper, who is now oh, really? a wrestler, oh, yeah. Yeah. she yeah. was on uh, Duke Loves Wrestling podcast last year, and you'll get a Great. kick out of this, Matt. The creator of Glow, he was on this show. Oh no way! And now he runs Wow Superheroes. He and, and uh, the owner of the Los Angeles Lakers they run Wow Superheroes, which Ed is the promotion that Teal Piper is um is a wrestler in so david mclean is his name he was the guy who created gorgeous ladies of wrestling and he's the guy that runs wow superheroes uh women of wrestling superheroes and roddy piper's daughter wrestles for him so it's just funny how a lot of this stuff comes full circle when we talk about influences 
and we get into this great comic that you guys have, Invasion from Planet WrestleTopia. Yeah, um, Piper was, was so great, and he lived in a suburb of Portland called Aloha. And it's, you know, it wasn't unusual to meet people maybe who bumped into him. And, and anytime you met someone who had a personal story about, you know, meeting Piper or, uh, you know, even being like, uh, I met somebody who was, his wife was um, one of Roddy Piper's lawyers for something. Fantastic guy. Like you never heard, uh, you never heard anything but, but what a great guy he was. And uh, yeah, so he, he got, he, the Portland Territory, the Pacific Northwest Territory was not the first place he'd ever wrestled as a, as a young up and comer. But he, it was Don Owens, the owner of Portland Wrestling, who really thought that Piper had what it took to be a major star and actually sent Piper, I think, to Georgia, maybe Georgia Championship Wrestling the biggest NWA promotion at the time and said, look, you, you gotta, you gotta take this Piper kid on. He's going to be huge. Piper never forgot what the Owens family sort of did for him. And even at the height of his WWF at the time, popularity, Hulkamania and all that stuff, when the WWF at that, as they were known at the time would come to Portland, Piper told McMahon, I will never, never wrestle in Portland uh, because I just won't do that to the Owens family. So um, I did get to see him wrestle live, but it was because Piper would still, even under contract with Vince McMahon, would occasionally come back and wrestle for uh, Don Owens. It was really, it was very unusual, but he would like wrestle Playboy Buddy Rose in the main event. And I got to, I got to see one of those uh, main events and see him wrestle, not for, not against Hogan or against Jimmy Snuka or something like that, but against NWA and AWA stars at the time. It's crazy because you never know how all of this stuff is connected one way or another. So let's just jump right into this here because issue one, a date with Destiny from uh, Invasion from Planet WrestleTopia. What was it that you folks were trying to accomplish with this first issue here? The amount of pages, I was very surprised, pleasantly surprised how many pages this uh, episode was it wasn't a short read so it gave me a chance to really get used to this uh universe so to speak and, and get familiar with some of these main characters here but but talk to me about it we'll start with you there uh, ed what was it that you guys were trying to accomplish with this and then matt you can jump in anytime on that as well with this first issue what were, what were you trying to go for here the, our main goal for this whole series was Really, we love this story, and we want to get it out there into the world. Uh, the first issue is 32 pages, and it definitely you know sets the tone, and, 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 and we, we tried to do the setup in as interesting and funny way as possible. And then it ends on <clears throat> sort of a cliffhanger um, in which you know our protagonist has really screwed over the entire planet. And we find out at the, at the end of the issue, just, just how bad it's going to get. So um, it's a little bit longer because we wanted to, you know, we wanted to set the tone for the series and introduce the characters and do all those things you're supposed to do. But we also wanted to make sure we had enough in there to, to really get the reader hooked on the, the, the promise of, of, of the premise of the series 
and get them excited for the next, you know, issue and really the next five issues where the the train really get, gets rolling down the tracks and things get things get really exciting. Yeah, we we like the first issue is is longer because we really sort of wanted to establish the protagonist Rory Landell. We wanted to establish sort of his psychology, who he is now. And because, because this is not just a series. Yes. It's about a, an, you know, an invasion of alien pro wrestlers, but it's, it's also about Rory's like real life sort of healed face turn. And we really want to kind of dig deep into his psychology and, um, you know, like a lot of these would start off like super, super action packed. And we decided to kind of, you know, more explore our characters in that first issue and, and just sort of give a little hint of the premise, you know, right at the end. That's a great description there. And, and certainly, at least with me, you got me hooked right away. So I, I got to ask, though, because throughout everything that I've seen so far, right, your first five issues, the lingo it's clear that you guys have been influenced and and when we talk about roddy piper and and the gorgeous ladies of wrestling and some of these things here it's clear you've been influenced by people who really do a good job of communicating with the audience who can speak on the mic or who can you know give these great promos and what have you so matt let me let me start with you here where did that come from because the writing in the comic is so strong it is just incredible are you known as somebody who has the gift of gab or where did you guys get this from? <laughs> no, I mean, thankfully so much of wrestling history has been documented on YouTube. So we just watched the hell out of promos and we're sort of trying to figure out who his, his like ring, you know, Roy's ring persona was. And I will tell you, I have just infinite respect for the great talkers just because like those were probably the most difficult things to write and a little preview we have another rory promo in the last issue but there's so much batting back and forth trying to perfect it because in order for it to come off as realistic it both has to be you know has to hook you and but also has to almost sound off the cuff and improvise, which is something really difficult to capture, you know, on the printed page like this. Yeah, and I would add that um, <clears throat> even as a kid, and I won't say early '80s, I was old enough to go to used bookstores. Right, I was um, really obsessed with the wrestling magazines of the time, and the the wrestling magazines were great because they were they were total kayfabe all the way you even had heel columnist in the wrestling magazine and 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 then you know the wrestling magazines just took it very seriously and matt and i um we bought a bunch of those used those old wrestling magazines when we were doing this a lot of them of which i had owned in the past you know so it was it, we did a lot a lot of research of course into you know how these guys talk deliver promos i i was as again as a fan as a young fan particularly obsessed with you know georgia championship wrestling when when cable was brand new and my family got it pretty early on you could now the whole nation could watch superstation wtbs from atlanta you know a lot of people think that 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 mcmahon was the first one to kind of um 
go national with with it. But I, I, it was Superstation WTBS, which had just been a local station in Atlanta, now kind of through no fault of their own, was a national uh, cable channel. And you could watch three hours of Georgia Championship Wrestling, NWA territory down there in Atlanta. Also, by happenstance, the home base of Ric Flair, the world champion. So you saw Ric Flair cutting promos every Saturday and, you know, Michael Hayes and just all those guys. And, uh, and it was, it was just great. You know, I, I, I love, I love those old promos and, and the way Ric Flair worked the mic and all that stuff. So our love for, our love for all that stuff is in the comic book, obviously. One of the things that jumps out and is established right from the beginning the quality of the artwork. I mean, legitimately, the way that you your your team has captured the action scenes, especially. You know, of course, you have the sound effects in there as well when somebody's hitting somebody, which is really cool to see. Uh, but but talk to me about the artwork itself and how the heck is the artwork so strong? I mean, legitimately, I and I, I told you guys this offline. You know, when, when I first started looking into this, I did not expect to be blown away as much as I, I am, uh, especially by the artwork. It is just it's as good artwork as I've seen in any comic, which somebody has to have some kind of experience with this sort of thing, because it, it just it's not something that was just slapped together. I mean, this is professional work here, guys. Yeah, we, you know, a lot of these indie comics, because, you know, our first two issues were self-published, they suffer from, you know, a lack of professionalism. They just, they, you can tell they're self-published. And for us, it was just vital that we put together because we, you know, our experiences in video games, it's not in comics. We wanted to assemble a team with a lot of experience under their belts. So for the first three issues, um, we have Dan Scotty doing the art and then uh, Kendall Good took over art duties for the remaining three issues. Um, and Dan, you know, we, we had seen Dan, Dan's art and in, in other things he'd done. Uh, he did a run on uh, Will Eisner's The Spirit and he had done some Battlestar Galactica comics. And there's just that, that like larger than life cartoonish quality to his work and those crisp lines that we thought would just, you know, work so perfectly with uh, the characters and the type of story we wanted to tell. And what was interesting with Dan is like, he knew nothing about wrestling whatsoever. So Ed, you know, kind of had to, uh, you know, put, he put together sort of a package, a care package of wrestling magazines and DVDs and sent it to him so he could sort of self-educate before he embarked on this little journey with us. And um, Dan says we converted him, you know, over the, <laughs> after he had spent, you know, a month watching wrestling DVDs and everything, like he sort of came out of it with like a newfound respect for the art form. And yeah, then, but, Ken, yeah. go, sorry, go ahead. No, I was just saying, but I mean, to your point, I mean, we, we hired professionals to do this, you know, everything from, you know, the, the Dan Scotty, the, the, the initial art for the first three issues, Marissa Louise, this professional colorist, done a lot of work for like Marvel, like DC, Dark Horse, led the lettering for those first three issues was, um, um, called a larger world studios, but they, uh, 
it's Dave Lamphere who does the lettering. And um, we went professional all the way. You know, we just, we'd like, we're going to do this. We're going to do this right. And um, yeah, the results speak for themselves. Now it's hard to keep an art team together, even even though everyone's getting paid. I think for, for a sort of an indie small press project, it's hard to keep a creative team together because everyone's a freelancer. So you have uh, Jason Lewis doing the colors for the fourth issue, did a great job. And then for the fifth and sixth issues, you have, um, um, uh, help me out here, Matt. Yeah. Geo uh, Butler. Geo Butler doing the colors. She's amazing. The last two. And then Kendall Good took over the art duties for issues four through six. Kendall had already done a lot of work for uh, the, the WWE comics that Boom puts out. Uh, the SmackDown series, I believe they're known as. So he had already done a lot of uh, comic book art for wrestling comics, which was great. Uh, so when we lost Dan, we were able to just transition with him and and he already had you know a ton of wrestling knowledge. Uh, and Sal Cipriano, uh, we have a new letterer for uh, the last issue. So um, yeah, it's not like we fired everybody and then <laughs> replace the ball. It's just, they, they drift to other projects and get really busy. And so you have to, you have to just um, soldier on with, with you know, the best people you can find. And, but they all, all the issues look, look great. We're really proud of what all the artists did. Well, that's an interesting uh, tale there because the quality of the artwork never dropped off. So if you, if you never told me that you were using different people in uh, <clears throat> later issues than you were in the beginning. I would have never known that yeah. because yeah. it all is just top notch, high quality stuff. So kudos to you guys for finding the right people to keep this consistent and kudos to the artists themselves, because really I'm telling you, it doesn't matter what quality your stake is. It could be the, the, the rare, you know, most beautiful piece of whatever. If it doesn't look good, people aren't going to be interested in it. And this whole comic series just looks incredible. I mean, just really, really good stuff. Invasion from Planet Russeltopia, once again, is the name of the comic folks. And, you know, these guys really should be commended for the job they've done with this thing here. Now, I got to ask, and I guess I'll start with you there, Ed. The characters themselves, because you, you definitely have a pretty cool roster here. You know, I, I'm, I'm a little partial to uh, Macho. Pretty interesting. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Because I'm not the tallest guy in the world, but, you know, I can, I can make it happen out there. So the fact that Macho was out there kicking butt is pretty cool. Uh, t- talk to us about that, though. Talk to us about some of these characters that you guys came up with and what have you and, and what kind of fun. It, it, and what I really want to know is, did you put yourselves or people that you know in there? Is, is there any kind of, you know – qualities that maybe that Ed or Matt or, or some of these other <laughs> folks possess that you kind of slid in there. There might be some Easter eggs, I'm sure. There, so it's, it's interesting. Almost all these wrestlers, these main sort of the more important characters, whether it's Rory, the Rory Landell, the protagonist, or even some of the minor characters who are wrestlers, they're really more of an amalgam of all these different wrestlers who we just, you know, thought were really great and admired and and, and thought were really fun. So Rory, you know, we hear a, a lot of different people who read the comic say, boy, Rory reminds me of, and we've heard 
you know, Randy Macho Man Savage, Hulk Hogan, we've heard Ric Flair, we've heard all kinds of names, and, and it's, they're kind of all right. Um, superstar Billy Graham was, was a, a big influence. Um, not really so much people we know, but wrestlers that we know, or, you know, wrestlers we think we know. And um, that's true for really just about all the wrestlers in the book. Um, Mini Macho, he, he is a favorite of a lot of people. And he's funny. He's the one character, the one character that we didn't really have a lot of plans for when we started writing. And he was just kind of going to be in the first issue possibly. And, and that's it. But um, yeah, we kind of fell in love with him and we're like, you know, he's got, he's got to tag, he's got to tag along on this, on this adventure. He's got to be a part of it. So he got to be, uh, he got to be in, his character we we made a bigger deal out of this character than we planned no we're not really in the book there's a brief cameo where you can see matt and i reacting to uh rock and roll rory landell's big speech when he declares himself galactic champion of the universe we're the we're the we're the um the two losers uh who are at home watching the pay-per-view on their couch eating stuffing our faces (laughs) (laughs) that's about it that's about all you'll see of us which is good for the comic the less the less you see of us in the comic the better yeah, man, let me just say, uh, rock and roll, Roy Mandel, Taz did that way before you, pal, and so did the Million Dollar Man, creating his own championship and declaring himself champion. Uh, I thought that was pretty clever, uh, the way he did that to stick it to the promoter, so to speak, with a championship that was even cooler than the homemade championship, so to speak, for the promotion. So I thought that was really interesting there. Matt, what, what do you add to that, though? Uh, it, some of these characters, it, did you have any influence over, you know, possibly sliding yourself in there somehow, some way? I don't, I don't really, you know, I don't think any of them are really a reflection of me per se. We really, you know, we did collectively between the two of us, we probably read somewhere between 40 and 50 books about the industry. A majority of those were, were you know, these, you know, especially during sort of the late nineties through like mid two thousands, there were just a glut of wrestler autobiographies. So we read tons of those and highlighted, you know, the hell out of them. Um, and they, they really like, we, like Ed said, you know, superstar Billy Graham was sort of an, you know, an influence on Rory's ring persona and maybe Jake Roberts was an influence on him as like a person and, you know, in his, in his own life. Um, but it, it just became this kind of like brew of all these different influences until our original inspirations were sort of unrecognizable. I mean, obviously like Dick Drazen was inspired by Vince McMahon I, I think with some of the characters, the influences are a little more obvious. Um, like 3D started out as uh, the Dudleys, but then they sort of turned into their own thing. So the, the idea was that we would use, you know, real world wrestlers as an influence and then see how we could sort of depart from that initial influence until they sort of became their own persona unto themselves. Yeah, I will, I will say that, you know, in, in some respects, I, I think the emotional stories that we're telling, you know, is maybe where, as a writer, you, you, you have to put some of your own stuff in there that you know. So I, I, can, I can very much relate to Rory constantly shooting himself in the foot as a person, you know, until he sort of gets his head on straight. That 
you know, that I have some experience with. So that some of that, you know, I, I, I drew from to, to put into the comic book. And I'm sure Matt has some of that in there as well. But, uh, you know, as Matt kind of hinted at uh, earlier, uh, we, um, we are not wrestlers and we're, and we're so far, you know, we're writers and, and um, we're so far removed from that life, you know, so we really had to draw upon our fandom growing up and, and tons of source material to really kind of make sure we captured wrestlers accurately, lovingly, but warts and all. Does that make sense? Oh, it sure does. And I can tell you that, Reading the comics and, and especially watching Rory's um, journey, one of the things that comes to mind, other than the various wrestling books, I mean, obviously, Have a Nice Day by Mick Foley, Ric Flair's book. I, I, can, I can see the influences that you guys are talking about. But the movie, The Wrestler, clearly one of you or both of you or anyone else who worked on this project, they watched the movie The Wrestler because there's a little bit of that in there as well, which oh, for uh, sure. I, yeah, that I find really, yeah. really interesting. There are some parallels. I mean, we did not intentionally, of course, want to want to, you know, uh, take from that film in particular. Um, you know, the, the 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 wrestlers, as we are now finding out through Dark Side of the Ring and the many, you know, uh, ghost written autobiographies, uh, they have the fall is pretty. It's a, it's a it's a long fall from wrestling superstardom to obscurity and, and a lot of wrestlers have tragic lives. So that story, I think that story was maybe even kind of before we even watched the wrestler, which, which we, I love, I thought it was a great movie. <clears throat> um, that whole sort of story was, I think somewhat familiar if you were really paying attention to wrestling. Yeah. We actually, we wrote a screenplay for this over 10 years ago. Okay. I think, we had it was me you know, we were originally going to pitch it as a movie and i think we had the first draft written right around the time the wrestler came out and i remember <laughs> like you know being excited about it but also being nervous i'm like how much is you know our our story is going to overlap obviously you know <laughs> it's no, not yeah. about an invasion yeah. of alien pro wrestlers but like how similar is randy the ram going to be to rock and roll rory and while there are, there are definitely parallels, because I think, you know, a lot of wrestlers, unfortunately, have a very, you know, kind of follow the same path. Um, you know, I, I thought we sort of diverged enough so nobody could, like, you know, accuse us of, like, well, you know, it's the wrestler with sci-fi trappings. Oh, absolutely. You, you guys, you know, you did a great job of making it your own. But like you said, unfortunately, so many wrestlers have gone through these these challenges in life and even people just in regular walks of life. Uh, Ed, you were, you were very honest about that in your own life. People can relate to what's in this, which is what I really like. It's not silly. It's fun. It's entertaining, but it doesn't insult your intelligence, which is so cool. And again, folks, it's the reason why I'm telling you right now, you want to get yourself, you want to get your eyes on Invasion from Planet WrestleTopia. It is just fantastic, the entire series that's available to you right now. Uh, Matt, earlier you mentioned something that 
is really interesting. And, and I want to go circle back to that real quick. You said that you, you folks have experience in video games. So specifically, what is your experience in video games? Are you, are you writing games? Are you, are you one of the animators? Like, what are you doing with video games? And how has that influenced uh, this comic? And, and Ed, you can jump in any time on that as well. So that, that's so Ed and I met in the video game industry. Um, we both got hired for our first jobs in the industry by a studio in suburban Chicago called High Voltage. And I want to say, Ed, you were initially hired as a producer, correct? But you yeah. quickly transitioned to a designer role. Yeah, yeah. By the time Matt came aboard, I was working at you know, as a game designer. We weren't working, the company wasn't working on games at that time that had a lot of writing necessarily. But when we started working on, on Leisure Suit Larry, Magna Cum Laude, uh, all of a sudden we had to do a ton of writing and we had to try to make it funny. And that's why Matt was hired and they sat him down. This is I don't know, early 2000s and they sat him down right next to me and that's how we met. And of course we did talk about wrestling because Ed had a uh, picture of himself with King Kong Bundy and an <laughs> autographed Playboy Buddy Rose photo above his desk. So we both in that, you know, discovered our mutual love of wrestling that way. But yeah, so we, we you know, uh, Leisure Suit, that Leisure Suit Larry title was the first game we ever worked on. We subsequently worked on a sequel that unfortunately got canceled. And since then, you know, I have had two other full-time jobs in the industry just as a writer or narrative director, the, the titles depending on the company change. Um, but a majority of our work has been as just freelance contractors. And sometimes we collaborate, sometimes we work independently. Um, as a team, we've done a few titles for a studio down in Austin called Twisted Pixel. Uh, we did a game called Comic Jumper and another game called Loco Cycle for them. And uh, in fact, we ended up writing a horror, you know, a comedy slasher movie for two of the uh, founders of Twisted Pixel. So we, we have one movie under our belts as well. Um, we've also done some work for Ubisoft. We did a World War I game called Valiant Hearts. Um, and I... Ed, Ed has worked on like 70 plus titles. He's worked on a lot more games than I have. Um, coming out very soon, May 22nd, uh, we have Maneater, which is uh, described by Tripwire, who is the developer, as a shark PG. And uh, I did most of the writing with a big assist from Ed on that. And uh, we're currently writing on the Goldbergs Back to the 80s, which is a mobile game title. Wow. So you, you guys definitely have a lot of experience in the uh, video gaming world and your wrestling fans, as you admit yeah. freely. Uh, Ed, you, you, know, you got your, your autographed pictures and everything else for everybody. <laughs> so there's no confusion, all right? You're dealing with a wrestling fan here, folks. Just in case anybody in the, in the office, you know, whether they wanted to know or not, they're going to know that Ed was a wrestling fan. And, and Matt... Yeah. You jumped on that bandwagon as well and, and waved your wrestling flan, uh, flag since Ed was out there so boisterous about it. Uh, <laughs> but that's what we love. And, and as wrestling fans and folks listening to the show, 
these guys are legitimate. And one of the things that was very important to me is that the comic was respectful of pro wrestling, this, this entertainment medium that we love so much, this thing that we have spent so much of our time and emotions investing ourselves into. It's something that is our escape from the crazy world, uh, especially these days for sure. Uh, so the fact that these guys are legitimate wrestling fans who put out this fantastic comic, it definitely adds some positivity to the pro wrestling industry, which we love so much. Um, Ed, talk to us real quick about your publisher because you know you, you guys started off independent, but then you were able to, to sign on to a massive, massive uh, publisher here for the comic series going forward. Talk to us about the publisher. Yeah, so we were, we really were lucky after our, you know self publishing for a couple issues, we were signed on by Starburns Industries Press. Which I would I would describe in, in the comic book world I would say you know small press publisher is pretty accurate but they're, the the Starburns Industries itself is this large company that <clears throat> uh, produces a lot of animated television uh, Rick and Morty actually probably being the you know the biggest uh, thing that they've worked on thus far but on a lot of other cool stuff as well and so it was a nice fit for us I mean I would describe Invasion from Planet Russeltopia um, as sort of an action comedy, you know, and, and there, there, it has a story with a heart uh, in there, but it's, 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 we were, you know, primarily it's an action comedy. And so we fit right in with sort of their sensibilities as a company. And um, so we're real excited about that. Um, and, and, and especially as we, we close in on finishing our sixth and final issue, um, it'll be interesting to see what we can do, you know, with, with the collected volume of these issues. Uh, I mentioned before that, that each of these individual issues, if you get them on Comixology, they, they have their own exclusive bonus material. That's really fun, really funny stuff uh, that we put a lot of effort into uh, that won't be in the trade. Uh, however, the trade will have the collected volume will have its own exclusive bonus material as well. So you can feel, uh, you can feel good about, about buying them all if you, if you so wish. Um, but um, yeah, and Starburns Industries has, has been great to work with. And it's, it's, it's really nice to have a publisher. Uh, they do a lot of, a lot of great stuff for us that we couldn't do on our own. So, um, um, you know, we'll just have to wait and see how, you know, how else we can kind of push, how much further we can push this title towards, you know, finding an audience and, and, and you know, maybe finding a home and some different mediums and things like that. But it's been great so far. Well, you know, let's, let's not uh, hold ourselves back any further here. Matt, let everybody know what's the best way they can get their hands on the comic, especially, you know, all the, all the issues. I'm sure that this is, this is not the sort of thing where you can just read one or two. You definitely want to check out the entire series, folks. Take it from me. I'm just salivating at, at what's possible. What could happen next? What is, what's going to go on next in this universe? They even have a wrestling bear. Okay. Did you hear what I just said? They even have a wrestling bear. That's a spoiler alert, by the way. But uh, Matt, let everybody know, Invasion from the Planet WrestleTopia. What's the best way that folks can get their hands on this? Just go to Comixology. That's with an X in the middle, Comixology.com. And you can get all five current issues and number six when it is finally released, hopefully next month. 
if folks want to reach out to you guys and, and share their thoughts, especially reviews and things of that nature on the comic, once they, they pick up issues themselves, how can they reach you guys and how can they reach, you know, this, the, the comic, I should say universe itself in general. So our, our best uh, social media outlet for that would be Twitter. And we are SBP underscore comics. Uh, Suspicious Behavior Productions is the name of our little two-man entity. And uh, we're also on Tumblr at Suspicious Behavior Productions. And Ed, you want to round out the rest? Well, yeah, we have a Facebook uh, page. Obviously, Facebook.com, Suspicious Behavior is where you can find us on there. Uh, We do have uh, an Instagram. Instagram, We're really bad about... um, checking but we're suspicious suspicious behavior productions on instagram and we'll uh you know give us a shout out out, out on there and we'll we'll try to you know be a little more active on there but um yeah twitter especially and tumblr uh you know we like to have a lot of fun on there <clears throat> give us a shout um you know let us know what you think about the comics or just you know what you think about uh, wrestling or or life in general or my haircut or whatever you want to, whatever you want to say, old wrestling, new wrestling. We love to hear from people. Thank you guys. Thank you guys very much. First of all, invasion from planet WrestleTopia, great comic, but uh, thank you for respecting the wrestling industry and, and for actually yeah. wearing your fandom on your sleeves. This yeah. is great stuff. And I feel like it's something that's going to help even people who may not consider themselves wrestling fans, they'll be able to enjoy this because of the fantastic storytelling and because of the fantastic artwork. Uh, You and the team just really did a great job there. Uh, Please feel free. Uh, We'll start with Matt, then we'll round it out with Ed. Uh, Any final thoughts, any, anything you want to leave folks with? Well, I I just want to thank you. You know, it's, it's, it's our hope that our comic is able to make, comic fans out of wrestling fans and wrestling fans out of comic fans. Yeah. And, and I would just say, you know, in, in hearing you talk about, you know, respecting wrestling and all that stuff. Um, other people, you know, who have sort of reviewed the book have described it as a love letter to wrestling. And I, I think that's accurate. You know, um, it, it really is the great, I, I mean, I don't follow it religiously like I used to, but it really is the greatest form of entertainment ever devised by humankind and um and i'll also say that um our publisher is giving away our first issue uh i'm reminded so if i mean if there's somebody out there who just you know and we're going through some tough times obviously as a planet uh if if you want to score our our digital copy of our first issue for free just give us a shout on our social media and, and we'll shoot you the link um and you know we really i mean we really just wanted to get the story out there. If anyone, you know, is having a tough time and, and could use a break, uh, just, just give us you know, our, our DMS are open on Twitter, or Facebook, whatever. Just give us a shout. And we'll, we'll set you up. Let me tell you something right now. If you respect the pro wrestling business and you're somebody that is putting something out there that folks can enjoy especially when it's of the high quality that Ed and Matt have put out with their comic. I want to talk to you. You know, I want, I want to have you on the show. I want to feature you. 
I want to encourage people to check your stuff out because clearly you have something going on that's worth paying attention to. You know, there's so many folks out there who take shots at pro wrestling and love to focus on negative things, whether they're making it up or whether there's some truth to it. And we really need more positive pro wrestling content out there, diversified pro wrestling content. And that's what you're going to get with Invasion from Planet WrestleTopia. So once again, thank you, Matt. Thank you, Ed. Just great guys there. I'm really excited for all of you listening to check out the comic. It's available right now, issues one through five. I'm going to put all the information up out there, but Comixology, C-O-M-I-X-O-L-O-G-Y. You can find it there. Please check it out. I, I enjoyed it so much. I know issue number six is coming out soon. I can't wait to read it. But as I stated before in the interview, you're going to love the artwork. It's just so professionally done. The fact that the guy who, you know, created Rick and Morty is also the the place where they're doing their publishing and what have you. It's just tremendous, tremendous. And he's a video game guys. So you already knew that you're going to get high quality stuff from them. So again, thank you, Matt. Thank you, Ed. I'll definitely be checking in with those guys again soon because they just, they do a great job. That's right. Welcome back. Welcome back to Duke Loves Wrestling Podcast, the show about pro wrestling and everything else. And I hope everyone is doing well out there once again, despite all the craziness in the world. I continue to deliver some content that hopefully you're enjoying, uh, whether you're sick, whether you're healthy, whether you're in between, doesn't matter. This is your stop every week. To escape from that crazy reality, right? A little later in the show, I'm going to be speaking to Alexandra Scafidi, who is a a massive MMA fan, especially when it comes to UFC. But because of her work experience, uh, she has some thoughts on safety, especially during this COVID-19 pandemic and how UFC is putting on events. So she has some interesting perspective and... What's really interesting is the fact that she is hearing impaired. She's deaf. So for the first time here on the Duke Loves Wrestling podcast, I am utilizing a text-to-speech program to speak on behalf of my guest who actually, you know, she sent me responses to some questions that I had she sent to me in an email. So I'm going to use a text-to-speech program so you can hear what Alexander Scafidi has to say. And it's really some great stuff there. I think you folks are going to enjoy it. Um, but before we get to any of that, let me go over some top stories and just share some thoughts. Because there's a lot that's happened since the last time I spoke to you a week ago. And we could start with the WWE Money in the Bank pay-per-view. It happened. No fans. We're talking about a pay-per-view where the headlining match, the Money in the Bank ladder match, happened on the roof of WWE headquarters in Stamford, Connecticut. Now, you know, according to my research, it's about a seven-story building. WWE was saying it was a 10-story building, which is interesting. Okay, maybe they added some stories. Who knows? 
But overall, it was a, for me, it wasn't the best pay-per-view I've seen. But I understand the circumstances, you know, the expectations are not as high as they should be. You know, at least in, in what we would consider normal times. But overall, there was great effort by all the competitors. And I think that the WWE, they put their best put, foot forward as much as they could. But it's just, you know, it's a tough deal. It's a tough deal to put on a entertaining pay-per-view that lasts three, four, five hours long. Grab everyone's attention when the presentation is just so different from what we have been conditioned to be used to our entire lives. So it's always going to be a challenge to watch, even on TV. It's going to be a challenge to watch this stuff. But it's important to go through these growing pains because it's pushing innovation. And I really liked the concept of the Money in the Bank ladder match being on the roof of WWE headquarters. That's just something different. They literally put a ring on top of their building. And they had the ladders in the in the ring. And the competitors, the men and the women, they had their matches at the same time where they had to start at the bottom level of WWE headquarters and they were running through all the different floors and getting all the way up to the top and then battled each other until we had winners. So the winner of the women's Money in the Bank ladder match was Asuka. Thank goodness. I really appreciated that because, folks, you know, you know, the Duke's a big fan of Asuka. Nobody's ready for Asuka. That's right. That's right. So I was pretty happy to see that she won. And the winner for the men, surprisingly, was Otis. Otis, of all people, was the men's Money in the Bank ladder match winner. Did not see that coming. Crazy. So the stipulation, and, you know, traditionally with Money in the Bank, whoever grabs the briefcase gets, there's a contract inside the briefcase that they can cash in, quote unquote, at any time for the next year for an opportunity to battle for whatever championship that they choose to battle for. So the next night on Monday Night Raw, Becky Lynch comes out. And she has the Money in the Bank briefcase. Which, what the heck is she doing with the briefcase? That's Oscar's briefcase. What's going on here? But Becky makes an announcement. She is taking time off because she, Becky Lynch, the man, is pregnant. Now, I know what you're thinking. You're thinking what I'm thinking. How the heck can a man be pregnant? I mean, literally not since Arnold Schwarzenegger in that movie that he, he was in where he woke up and he was pregnant. We've, we haven't seen that before. So now suddenly the man, Becky Lynch, is pregnant. I don't know how this is possible. I don't know what science is doing where they can make the man pregnant, but that's what she claims. So we'll just we'll leave it at that. Fine. So then she tells Oscar to come out. And Becky opens the Money in the Bank briefcase to reveal that the Raw Women's Championship was inside the briefcase. And because Asuka won the Money in the Bank ladder match, she officially is the Raw Women's Champion. That was a special stipulation that was not revealed during the pay-per-view. It was revealed on Raw the next night, which was really smart. 
Really, really smart booking on, on the part of WWE. And in fact, it literally crashed the internet. Everybody was talking about it. Raw trended number one. Becky Lynch, Oscar, they all trended number one at various points throughout the night. It was good stuff. And of course, Oscar being Oscar, she celebrated, she danced, she gave Becky a hug, which was kind of interesting. She, she, you know, Oscar was just so excited, so happy, which was cool. And I think these two really like each other. So I believe that, and Oscar even expressed this, Becky seems to be appreciative of the fact that if she's going to deliver the belt to anybody, Delivering it to Oscar is definitely the right way to go because Oscar will take that championship and uphold the standard of what a WWE Raw Women's Champion should be. So everybody wins in that situation. And congratulations to Becky and and Seth Rollins. Good luck with you two and your endeavors on this road to being parents. It's good stuff. I don't know if Seth Rollins is going to take time off as well, but Becky, she's gone for now. That's official. Now, <laughs> I got to tell you, I want to give a, a, a side note here. Shout out to Shayna Baszler. She put out a statement saying, how stupid can you be to get pregnant while you're champion? I thought that was hilarious. 100% heel, right? And then she said, do you know who the, you see who that kid's father is? That kid's going to suck. <laughs> Which was another thing. Shayna Baszler just healing it up, man. That's a whole other story. Some folks took exception to that, which is fine. It's pro wrestling, folks. Come on. Obviously, she wasn't being serious. She was talking about Becky Lynch, the character, not Rebecca Lynch, the person and the real mom. Come on, folks. That's a built-in feud that can happen whenever Becky drops the baby, is back healthy, and is ready to wrestle again. That's a built-in feud that'll be ready to happen. Shayna Baszler will be waiting for her. That's right. That's right. Now, on the other side, we, as I said, Otis is the men's Money in the Bank uh, winner, and he's on SmackDown, so we'll have to wait and find out what he has to say about that. But you know he's in that storyline with Mandy Rose, so that'll be interesting. It'll be interesting to see what happens. You know, Otis has been very popular lately. That Mandy Rose storyline has hit lightning in a bottle, and it's taken off, and that's great for them. But I got to tell you something, folks. I'm very confused both the men's and the the women's Money in the Bank ladder matches, not a single black wrestler was in either one of those matches. I just don't understand it. And I, and I broached the topic, and a few people said, well, hey, Duke, you know, just because you're black doesn't mean you should be in the Money in the Bank ladder match or you should be in the main event, and I agree with that. But there were some talented black wrestlers in the WWE. Kofi Kingston and Big E and... Lashley, right? Come on. You mean to tell me none of those guys could have been in that match? Really? R-Truth? Look at R-Truth. R-Truth has been the MVP of the WWE over the past year. With what he did with that 24-7 championship, it's just been incredible what he has helped the WWE do. What if he won the Money in the Bank ladder match? Don't you think that would be more compelling to see our truth figure out when he's going to cash in and how. And hey, imagine if our truth actually became Universal Champion or WWE Champion. You're going to tell me the fans wouldn't buy that? That would be an incredible moment at a major pay per view. But you gave it to Otis. 
You gave it to Otis. And I'm sure it's going to help Otis get over. And yeah, you do need to create new stars. So I'm not against that. I just don't understand of all the people why he has to be in that spot right now. So, you know, I'm just expressing my disappointment, my frustration as that relates. And on the women's side, where was Bianca Belair? Where was Naomi? Why were there no black women in that match? It just doesn't make any sense. Sasha Banks. Sasha Banks didn't even wrestle the whole pay-per-view. She was on the outside for Bailey's match against Tamina, which is a whole other story. I mean, it just, you know, I don't understand it. I think it's a it's it's poor form on whoever wrote that pay-per-view. Whoever booked it, they need to get it together. That's right. That's right. Speaking of getting it together, who Alberto Del Rio or Alberto, Alberto El Patron as he likes to call himself. He was arrested on a domestic violence charge and his girlfriend she put in a police report that Alberto had held her against her will and tied her up and sexually assaulted her and accused her of cheating on her on him and beat her up and did all kinds of crazy things, choked her and all. Oh, my God. Just horrific stuff, folks. You would think you were just reading that report. You thought you were you were reading some kind of horror novel or something to think that a human being could be that monstrous and, and just oh, disgusting reprehensible and I'm going to tell you something I don't know what happened and yes we are going to wait for the facts to come out and everybody should have their day in court no two ways about that And I'm, but I'm going to tell you something Alberto Del Rio has this cloud hanging over him and these, these allegations of domestic violence have been following him throughout his life whether he beat his brother bloody in Mexico, the whole stuff with Paige, him showing up with, with knife marks all over himself and stuff, she beating him up in the airport, which, you know, there were witnesses that saw her do it and she admitted she she assaulted him. But was she was she defending herself? I mean, you have to go back and you have to ask these questions. I don't know what's up with Alberto. But I'm going to tell you one thing. I'm having a hard time defending the guy. And I have defended the guy based on the facts that were available at the time. But, you know, Alberto, you're you're running out of my ability and even interest in defending you because something's not right. There's too much smoke here, brother. I would hope that you aren't such a monster, such a piece of trash that you would have done what is outlined in that police report. But I can't imagine that somebody's going to make that up. So we're going to see. And my heart goes out to the, the survivor of the domestic abuse. She and her son and the rest of her family, they got a tough road ahead of them just having to see this thing through and then whatever happens afterwards. She's not a pro wrestler. She's not a big time celebrity, international superstar like he is. So, you know, you're going to have people who are going to try to pile on her and try to discredit her and things of that nature. It's really just, you know, it's ugly to see. It's very, it's ugly. But 
if Alberto is guilty of this stuff and it ain't looking too good for him, I hope they throw every book on the planet after him. Just throw the book at him. Because a person like that does not need to be walking around a society. God only knows what could have happened. Could have killed that woman. If, in fact, this is all true. So, I'll definitely update that story. It's just it's disappointing, folks, because I, you know, I was checking my archives. You know, next week is the four-year anniversary of Duke Loves Wrestling podcast. I was checking my archives and found one of the older episodes where we were talking about the whole page and Alberto situation and it seemed like every other week there was more information on that and somebody asked me the other day well does this make you look at Paige differently now and you know it does absolutely it does and I don't take back what I said in the past about Paige assaulting Alberto there were witnesses that that actually happened a woman had video and what have you of at least Paige on audio and, and you name it beating him up at an airport but I tell you, I, I have to go back and, and think about it. What if she was defending herself? That puts a little wrinkle in the whole scenario, not doesn't it? Huh. I don't know. I don't know. But it's ugly. It's ugly because it's just another black eye on the wrestling industry. It's a black eye on society. You never want to hear about somebody being brutalized, especially at the hands of somebody else. It's just terrible. So we'll see what happens there, folks. But I don't know. I don't know. I'll tell you, uh, the man formerly known as Killer Cross, I think he goes by Carrion Cross now. He's definitely making a splash out there. Certainly is. NXT is heating up with this guy. I don't know if he's some kind of vampire or whatever he's got going on, he and his lady, but that whole package is... It's catching on, man. People are enjoying it. And I love to see that. It'll be interesting to see when Roman Reigns comes back. Because I told you folks from two, three years ago. I would love to see. At the time, his name was Killer Cross. Carrying Cross. Whatever you want to call himself. Chili Willy. I would love to see Cross destroy that no good Roman Reigns. So hopefully we can make that happen sooner than later. And Cross, I know you're listening. Let me tell you something, bro. I got a shiny nickel in my pocket with your name on it. Okay? Take the money, as Harley Race would say. I will give you a shiny nickel if you destroy that punk Roman Reigns. He's my arch nemesis. He and I got problems dating from way back. I need you to finish him off for me. We'll talk about that offline, though. That's right. That's right. Sami Zayn was stripped of the Intercontinental Championship. Stripped. Unlike Becky Lynch, he didn't show up on Raw and and do a presentation to anybody. The WWE stripped him of the title. Now, there's speculation that Sami Zayn is refusing to compete during this COVID-19 crisis. And WWE, you know, people have accused WWE of making a public spectacle out of, quote unquote, punishing Sami Zayn by stripping him of the title. Let me say this. Sami Zayn is a heel right now in the storylines, right? This gives him something to complain about. Or this turns him babyface, stripping him of the title. So I'm not so quick 
to jump on the bandwagon and condemn the WWE for stripping him of the title. I think there's a storyline thing going on here. And I would hope that the WWE is not punishing Sami Zayn because he's doing the safe thing and not competing during this COVID-19 crisis. Because, you know, Roman Reigns is doing the same exact thing. Becky Lynch basically is doing the same thing too. So what's the difference? So I would hope that they wouldn't be punishing Sami Zayn. I don't think that's the case, to be honest with you. I think a lot of you folks out there, you're looking for something to complain about when you are so devoid of the facts, it's not even funny. And it just, at some point, you got to wonder what's the real agenda here. It's like some of you out there that that like to exclaim how, how the WWE is in trouble. They're in trouble. Are they really? They're expanding their partnerships on television. That India deal just kicked in, so that money's coming in. I was listening to WrestleNomics the other day, and shout out to uh, Brandon Howard Thurston III. You know, he's been on the show before. Good guy. And Brandon pointed out that the WWE is going to gross more money now than previously expected for the year 2020 because they're not doing the live events. So they're saving on those costs. And that translates over to an increase of another $100 million for the year. So they're going to set a gross record in 2020. They're going to make more money in gross than they ever had before because their production costs are down. And that TV money is coming in. And and if they don't do another live event, it's not going to matter. They're still going to just, they're going to be in the black, as we say, not in the red. Disney can't say that. Disney's losing money hand over fist because their theme parks are down. So even though they have all these other divisions, their theme parks aren't there. So they can't get the money off the tickets and the rides, and they can't get the money off the merch that they sell throughout their various theme parks in the world. Think about that. I think they only have about one or two theme parks open right now. That's it. But the WWE is making money hand over fist. That's not a company that's in trouble, folks. That's a company that thrives. That's a, If you can do better during a pandemic, if you can do better during the periods of time where everybody else is not doing so well, you know what that says? You're not just a survivor. You're a thriver. That's not trouble. Somebody needs to invest in that company. You should buy more of their stock before it goes back up because that's what's exactly happening right now. So, and that's not to say that I agree with every move they make, because certainly I don't. I've called the company out for years. I point out what I like and I point out what I don't like, right? But you got to be honest about it. And I'm telling you right now, from a financial, from a business standpoint, that WWE is doing it just as well, if not better, than any other entertainment company that you can think of right now. That's not in trouble. That is amazing. That's right. That's right. Okay, folks, let's let's not belabor the points here. Let me just jump right into it because my guest, Alexandra Scafidi, okay, you know, once again, this is a, a huge mixed martial arts fan. She loves the UFC in particular, and she had plenty to say about uh, UFC 249. So let me back up here on Saturday, 
the UFC put on the first live sporting event in America in something like over 50 days or something like that. You know, since this this COVID-19 crisis, we haven't had live sports. We've had pro wrestling, you know, WWE and what have you, AEW, but we haven't had live sports, competitive sports. So the UFC, they're the first. And a lot of folks, you know, they had some questions about the process and and how they did this. And uh, Alex, she's fantastic. A lot of analysis here. And I reached out to her and said, hey, listen, why don't you come on the show and talk about this? Because on her Twitter feed, she was just firing off, man. And the who's who in mixed martial arts media, they were responding and sharing her thoughts and what have you. It was pretty interesting. And then Alex revealed to me that although she'd love to come on the show, uh, she's hearing impaired. In her words, she's deaf. So that may make things a little challenging there. And let me tell you something, folks. This is an inclusive show. So the challenge of how do I innovate? How do I make this more accessible? I did some research and I came up with something. It's like, all right, let me let me get a text-to-speech program and I'll send Alex the questions and she can respond. And, you know, I asked her if that was okay and she said, sure, let's do it. And so here we are. So you are going to hear the text-to-speech program responding and I'm just going to ask the questions and play the responses. And these are, these are Alex's words, mind you. And let's see how this goes, man. I'm, I'm pretty excited about it. So, you know, welcome to the Duke Loves Wrestling Podcast. Once again, Alexander Scafidi. And Alex, I'm just going to jump right into it because, you know, UFC 249 was the hot topic that you were discussing on Twitter. So first of all, what specifically uh, were your concerns regarding safety as it relates to UFC 249 and how it was affected by the COVID-19 global pandemic. I'm concerned that fighters will be immunocompromised during their weight cuts, as well as after the fights themselves, which puts them at greater risk. Serena De Jesus has been vocal about sharing that, herself. Some fighters have fallen ill after really hard fights, because their immune systems are compromised due to the stress, and other factors. Fighters traveling unnecessarily, puts themselves, and others at risk. I have not seen nor heard about fighters being paid more for taking fights during the pandemic, excluding undisclosed fighting bonuses. Testing has been questionable and not completely reliable. In addition, I'm concerned with these new waivers, that the fighters have been signing which seem to exempt the UFC from liability, if a fighter, or their family members, get sick with COVID-19. Another concern is the UFC has not followed up with all of the safety protocols, that they themselves, released. I saw that they had done interviews inside the octagon, during the event, despite, 
UFC originally stating they would not do this. Are they pre-screening everyone in attendance before traveling to Jacksonville? If not, that would be an example of inadequate screening methods. Alex, how does your line of work affect your perspective on the matter? Because this is the thing. I mean, when, when you have certain experiences, that definitely may change how you look at something that most people wouldn't even give a second glance to. So again, how, how does your line of work affect your position on the matter? I'm very biased in my opinion that fights shouldn't be held right now. As an essential worker, I work with hospitals in organizing PPE donations and dealing with supply chain support. And as a COVID-19 screener, I am also a residential youth worker. Right now, Anyone who is following health and safety protocols, with staying home and maintaining social distance, while avoiding unnecessary travel, is making it safer for essential service workers to do their jobs. It personally frustrates me that some people think sports are above the pandemic we are facing. I understand wanting to have some normalcy, but that's what Fight Pass is for. Get creative and do some viewing parties with events you haven't seen before. Any reason to host events right now is selfish. UFC's pay structure appears to keep the rich rich, and those who don't get paid so much uh, remain in their spot. So do you feel they should change the structure, especially during this COVID-19 pandemic? And if so, uh, why or why not? Absolutely. Fighters are assuming the most, if not all the risk, they should be paid accordingly for taking those risks. Essential service workers received a raise during this pandemic. So if the UFC deems their business as essential enough to host events, then they should be paying their fighters accordingly. I'll always maintain that fighters already do not get paid enough for what they do. In your opinion, should MMA companies like UFC, should they even be running events during the COVID-19 pandemic? No. For all of the reasons I explained before, and additionally because... As doctors and epidemiologists have explained in interviews with the athletic and bloody elbow, it's just not a good idea. Do you have any other points that you'd like to uh, add to the conversation, Alex? Here's your chance to, you know, bring it on home, so to speak. I'd like to add that I personally am not trying to place the blame on fighters during this time. The UFC is offering the opportunity to make a paycheck, and fighters are taking that opportunity. They are already largely underpaid as it is, so, I can't fault them for signing a contract and I sympathize with them. That being said, they're not the only ones out of a paycheck and having a hard time right now. Nothing makes any of them better than anyone else who is out of work right now. 
I also don't agree with fighters sharing misinformation and dangerous sentiments about the virus to their audience on their platforms. I sincerely hope that with the events coming up, fighters take every single necessary precaution and stay as safe as they can. There you have it, folks. Alex Scafidi, and, and you can find her on Twitter and read all of her great takes. Once again, I know a lot of folks in the MMA community, the journalists, the fans, the fighters, they're definitely popping up on her Twitter feed there. That's at Alex, A-L-E-X-S-C-A-F-F-I-D-I underscore. Alex Scafidi. Fantastic. And again, you know, folks, if you are or you know anyone who is hearing impaired, who is deaf, they are more than welcome to be a guest on Duke Loves Wrestling podcast, especially if they have a take on pro wrestling or MMA and boxing. If they want to share their take on any of that stuff, just shoot me a line at Duke Loves Wrestling, either on Twitter or Facebook or at Duke Loves Wrestling on Gmail. You know, they're more than welcome to come on the show. Well, let's let's push, let's push this. And I'm going to find a way to um, develop some transcripts for the show, so people can read it and what have you. We'll find a way. We'll find a way to continue to make this as accessible as possible. Got to innovate, baby. That's right. That's right, folks. Next week is the official four-year anniversary of the Duke Loves Rossum podcast. And I got some exciting things lined up. Got a great guest. Got somebody who you haven't heard from in a while who's going to be back. Actually, a couple of somebodies. So that should be crazy. You know, I'm, I'm thinking about either in addition doing some kind of video presentation or at least a portion of the show will be recorded with video. So we'll see. You know, everybody's out there doing Zoom and all these other things. Some of you out there, you, you, you got your kids in the background acting crazy, you know, body slamming each other, putting their feet in the in the camera craziness. Uh, <laughs> but I'm thinking of taking advantage of some of that stuff and doing something special for the four-year anniversary. So definitely tune in next week, and you'll get to see some something fun. Please. Send me any messages, questions, comments, you name it, at Duke Loves Wrestling. Obviously, please send in the reviews, especially if you love the show or even if you hate the show. Give me a five-star review. Come on. This might be the show that you love to hate. I was on the Old Man Wade show last week taking on uh, Javi, Super Woke Javi, where we were discussing wrestling and politics and things of that nature. And, you know, I, the whole room was against me. Which I don't mind. Because in the words of the great Ric Flair. Only one of you can be first. But you all can be next. And everybody knows that Duke doesn't shy away from a debate baby. That's right. That's right. So once again folks please. Be kind to yourselves and be kind to others. I appreciate you. I am thinking about all of you. We've been through a lot, folks, especially these last couple of months. But if you're going to keep tuning in, I'm going to keep churning out these shows for you. Again, we're in this together. So please be safe. 
Join us next week for the four-year anniversary. Until then, take it away, Tony Schiavone. This is Tony Schiavone, and we're desperately out of time on Duke Love Wrestling.